Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, in the beginning, finding Jesus in Genesis, part six. In our journey through Genesis in search of Jesus, we today come to the most prominent person in the book of Genesis, and that is Jacob. The story of Jacob stretches from his birth in chapter 25 to his death in chapter 49. In other words, Jacob appears throughout the entire second half of the book of Genesis and more details and just his name is mentioned more than any, even more than Abraham. Uh, Jacob is the most prominent person in the story that Genesis tells. And we can't understand really the big story the Bible tells unless we have some basic understanding of the contours of the story of Jacob's life. So... Who is Jacob? Well, Jacob is the patriarch whom God later named Israel. Thus, it's through Jacob that Israel enters into the Bible story. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So, who is Jacob? He's the patriarch who God changes his name to Israel, and thus the name Israel gets introduced into the Bible story. Jacob is the father of 12 sons, and those 12 sons become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, that's a big deal. And Jacob's life embodies the story of Israel that reaches its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So, as Jacob became Israel, because God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, as Jacob became Israel, so Jesus becomes the single embodiment of Israel. Jesus becomes Israel in one person that he might ultimately fulfill the mission of Israel. Now, as we look at Jacob's story, we can't possibly look at the whole story. I mean, his, his whole story stretches over 25 chapters. So I'm going to pick three stories Three very important stories from the life of Jacob as we seek to find Jesus in Genesis. I, I want to look at uh, Jacob's ladder, Jacob wrestling the angel, and Jacob blessing Pharaoh. So, Jacob, he's the, he's the son of Isaac. You heard about Isaac last week. He's the grandson of Abraham. He has a twin brother named Esau, and he is full of guile. He's wily. He's uh, conniving. His name, Yaakov, means heel grabber because he was born grasping the heel of his firstborn twin brother. And he went through the first half of his life trying to trip up those ahead of him. He was the kind of person that like to leverage relationships. 
that when he met you, he would size you up as to how you could help him, of what personal advantage you might be to him. He's full of guile. He's tricky. Uh, He cheated his brother, his twin brother, out of both his birthright and his blessing. He's a heel grabber. Uh, That's who Jacob is. And so we pick up the story after he has now cheated his brother the second time. He pretended to be Esau. They were twins, but they were not identical twins. Uh, Jacob, well, Esau was, they say, was a hairy man. He was a hairy man. And and Jacob was a smooth man. And uh, he cheated his nearly blind old dad, Isaac, by putting some sheepskin on his arms and, and trying to feel like Esau and smell like Esau and, and stole Esau's blessing from his father Isaac. That's low down. And Esau was so upset about it that he, uh, he threatened violence against Jacob. And so Jacob feels led to move. <laughs> and he's on his way from Beersheba to Haran. And that's where we pick up the story. Genesis 28 verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba. And went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. All right. This is Jacob as a young man. His grandfather is Abraham, the friend of God. Abraham leads the way in knowing the true and living God. But grandson Jacob doesn't yet know God. He hasn't met God. He hasn't had his own experience. Oh, he's heard. Of course, he's heard about this living God, this one true God from his grandfather, Abraham, and his dad, Isaac. Of course, he's heard. But it's one thing to hear about God. It's another thing to encounter God. So he's not, he's not encountered God. He's only heard about God. Secondhand information. But here, at this place, where he lays down for the night and puts a stone under his head for a pillow... He encounters God for the first time in his life in the form of a dream. Anybody ever encountered God or the divine in some way in a dream? Anybody? I've had that happen many times. I think it's more common than some people realize that, you know, there's time. I mean, sometimes, you know, that's the way God can sneak in. Because, you know, we're all day long on our phones and busy and distracted and And maybe in the night season, we're a little bit quiet and God can sneak in. Jacob dreams a dream and he sees in his dream a ladder. You know how dreams are? They just, you're just thrust into it. Dream. And there's a ladder, the top of which reaches all the way to heaven. But there's not just a ladder, there's traffic on the ladder, there's angels. 
ascending and descending, going up, coming down. There's angels on this ladder. During this time of dreaming of the ladder that reaches from earth to heaven with angels ascending and descending, God speaks to Jacob. And for the first time, Jacob hears God's voice and God says, well, he, what, he, what God does is he reiterates the promise that he'd made to Abraham and to Isaac. He, he reiterates it now to Jacob and he says, I'm going to bless you, which I'm sure caught his attention. He was the kind of guy that liked to be blessed. But he also said, I'm going to use you to be a blessing. In fact, through you and your seed, you will bless all the families of the earth. And he woke up. And upon waking, he took that, he took that stone that he'd used as a pillow and set it upright and turned it into a pillar and then anointed the pillar with oil and gave the place a new name. It had been called Luz, but he gave it a new name. He called it Bethel, which means house of God. He said, God's in this place, and I've encountered God, and I'll mark this moment and this place with this pillar that I anoint, and I call the name of this place Bethel, house of God. Okay, that's the story. Where do we find Jesus in this story? Well, the best way to answer the question is for us to jump all the way into the New Testament and talk about a man named Nathaniel. Nathaniel, he's only mentioned in John's Gospel. He may be the disciple that's, all, that's called Bartholomew in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we're not sure. But Nathaniel is mentioned as Nathaniel only in the Gospel of John. And Nathaniel was from Cana. This is where Jesus turns the water into wine, but it hasn't happened yet. Nathaniel is from Cana. He has a friend, Philip, from Bethsaida. Philip has become an early disciple of Jesus. And when Philip sees his friend Nathaniel, he says, Hey! I think we've found him, the one. I believe we've found the Messiah. Nathaniel says, well, who is he? Philip says, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Nazareth is near Cana. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? To which Philip says, come and see. And so Philip brings Nathanael to meet Jesus. And the moment that Jesus sees Nathanael, they've never met before. Jesus says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. No guile. This one's not tricky. This one's not leveraging relationships. This one is sincere. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? How do you know me? We've never met. How do you know me? Jesus, oh, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, we're not told the story, but we're just, we just hear from the lips of Jesus that before Philip said, I think we found the Messiah, 
Philip was under a fig tree. Rabbi said a fig tree is a good place to pray. Under a fig tree is a good place to pray. I think Nathaniel was praying under a fig tree. And when Jesus says, I saw you under that fig tree. And Nathaniel's thinking, nobody saw me. I was by myself, but I was praying. Whew, this man heard my prayers. And so Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And now we pick it up in John chapter 1, verse 50. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? Oh, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, and the you is now changed from singular to plural. We've lost that distinction in English and it creates a problem. But that's y'all. I tell y'all, you all will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Rabbi, you're the Son of God, the teacher of Israel. Oh, you say that just because I said I saw you under the victory? Oh, you're going to see greater things than these. And I tell all of you, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Oh, so now we get it. Now we get it. Now we see that the dream that Jacob had at Bethel about the ladder was a vision of Jesus. Jesus is the ladder upon which the angels, what are angels? Angels, we can describe them as agents of grace. Agents of grace. Jesus is the ladder upon which the agents of grace ascend and descend. They they, they descend from heaven to bring you help when you need it. Does that apply to anybody? Anybody say, I could use some help here. All right. Well, the angels are the agents of grace that, re, that, that use the name of Jesus as a ladder. You need to just set up the name of Jesus as a ladder. So I need some help down here. And in the name of Jesus, I need some help. Give the agents of grace, give the angels a ladder to come down, come down, come down, and bring you aid from heaven. Right? But they also ascend. Because sometimes, sometimes we're just down here and we need some help, but sometimes we need to rise up. Sometimes we need to rise. We need some help to ascend up to the spiritual life. Because it's too easy to stay way down low in a little life, a petty life. A material life, just a carnal life. And so there are agents of grace to bring us the help we need, but also to help, help us ascend into the heavenlies, to set our mind on things above where Christ is. That's Jesus. He's, he's the ladder. So speak the name of Jesus, set up the ladder that brings saving grace into your life. And Jesus, also, Jesus is also, he can also, if Jesus is the ladder, and the ladder set up connecting heaven, Jesus is the one who reunites heaven and earth. Torn apart by sin, Jesus reconciles heaven and earth. That's the picture at the very end of the Bible of heaven and earth being reunited in holy matrimony. 
Jesus is, so in one sense, the, the, the ladder, Jacob's ladder that connects heaven and earth is in fact the cross of Christ. Jacob's ladder is the cross of Christ. And so I've got my, I brought my, my uh, crucifix icon to the pulpit with me. Because I, I like to have this before me when I pray in the morning. And there's times during my prayer that I just I meditate upon Christ upon the cross. And one of the things I'll see this week as I, as I think about this sermon and what I've been preaching and Jacob's ladder. I say, oh, this is, this is Jacob's ladder. This is, where, this is where agents of grace enter the earth. This is where I'm invited to ascend. This is where Christ is reconciling heaven and earth. I'll talk about this also in prayer school this week. Uh, prayer school, Derek mentioned it. This week, the offering is 8 to 9.30 p.m., Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 90-minute session. And then next week, is it 1 to 2.30 Central Time? And so you online people can, or you people too, can register for that. I think I'll just set this right here. This is nice to have this up here. So... Where do we find Jesus in Jacob's ladder? Jesus is Jacob's ladder. That brings the agents of grace down to where you need. And yeah, bring it down to you. And then it's the agents of grace then lift you up and help you ascend to the higher life of the Spirit. Amen. Now, 20 years after Jacob's dream of the ladder at Bethel, He's now returning home. 20 years have gone by. So we're 20 years later. He'd gone because he was fleeing from his brother. He's been working for his uncle Laban for 20 years. He's become prosperous. He's become wealthy and successful. But it's come at a price. He's used people along the way. Uh, He's tripped people up. He's grabbed their heel. And he's coming home now. He's returning to home. He's leaving Haran. He's coming back to Beersheba. And he's going to meet his brother on the morrow, and he's anxious about it. This is his estranged brother. They haven't talked for 20 years. And the last time they did talk, it was not pleasant. Esau was even threatening violence because of his, his deceit, his trickery, his guile. And he's going to see him on the morrow, and he's anxious about it. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. This is Jacob wrestling with the angel. Another image, another expression that's just in our culture, Jacob wrestling with the angel. Um, Except it never says it's an angel. It It just says a man, but it's... No ordinary man as we will see. So in this night before meeting his brother, of which he's anxious about tomorrow, a man wrestles with him all night long. You ever wrestled with something all night? Mm. Jacob is wrestling, we'll say with the angel, wrestling with the angel all night long. All night long wrestling with the angel. And now it's about dawn and the sun's coming up and the angel says, let me go. It's as if this, this, this wrestling angel doesn't want to be seen in the full light of day. Let me go. And uh, because they've wrestled all night and the angel hasn't prevailed. 
Jacob has held his own all night long. Now let me go. And he doesn't let him go. So the angel dislocates his hip. Ow, dang. Just the thought. I don't, that just sounds painful. Dislocates his hip. Now Jacob can't wrestle anymore. All he can do is hold on and he does hold on. And the angel says, let me go. And Jacob said, no, not until you bless me. You got to bless me. This whole story is about blessings. Jacob's life is about blessings. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I says, all right, what's your name? Jacob, Mm-mm, not anymore. Your name is no longer heel grabber Yaakov. Your name is Israel, Israel, because you've struggled with God and have prevailed. And there the angel blessed him. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask my name? Jacob never got his name. I think we know the wrestler's name. Hmm? Do you think you know his name? I think his name is Jesus. I think we find Jesus in this story as the man that wrestles with Jacob all night long, dislocates some things in his life, and then gives him a new identity. I think that's Jesus. So will Jesus bring pain into your life? Oh, sure he will. The pain of dislocation. The pain of you got everything just right. You got it all figured out. And then in one swift judo move, Jesus dislocated. Pain of dislocation. Because he wants to change your identity. It's, it's dislocation that leads to transformation. That's the point. Jesus doesn't bring pain to your life because he's, you know, a sadist. He brings pain into your life because you experience dislocation, which is necessary for transformation, as pain. I mean, Jacob wrestled with Jesus for one night. I wrestled with Jesus for 22 days. Back in the first 22 days of 2004. And I tell you, he dislocated some things in my life. And it was painful, but it was good. Because it transformed me. Now, after this, Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life. But even that was a good thing. Because what Jacob needed most was to be transformed. And he was transformed after his long night of wrestling with Jesus. Clearly, because the next day when Jacob met his estranged brother, he said this to Esau. To see your face is like seeing the face of God. Wow. Now remember, he didn't learn the name of the one who wrestled with him all night long. But after the one who had wrestled with him, broke him and blessed him. He then gave a name to the place. He said, I'll call this place Penuel. See, Jacob was always giving names to places. He called that place where he had the dream Bethel, house of God. He calls this place Penuel, meaning face of God. He says, I believe I've been face to face with God. I believe I've seen the face of God and lived to tell the tale. I limp, I'm broken, but I'm made new. It's almost like he was born again. And when he sees his brother, his estranged brother, 
who he's twice cheated in life. He says, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Jacob had been broken and blessed with dislocation leading to transformation. And he now no longer saw people as objects to be used and a means to his own selfish end. He now saw people for what they are, beloved creatures who bear God's image. The night before, he'd seen the face of God, and now he says, now he's recognizing the face of God in others because they bear that image. He's transformed. He's changed. Dislocation has led to transformation. He's born again. After Penuel, Jacob limped forever and never again tried to use people. From this point on, Jacob only sought to bless people. He's born again. He has a new identity. He has a new name. We see this most clearly in one of the last episodes in his life. When Jacob met Pharaoh. Genesis 47, verse 7. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob. And presented him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the years of your life? Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my earthly sojourn are 130. Few and hard have been the years of my life. They do not compare with the years of the life of my ancestors during their long sojourn. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. I absolutely love this story. I find it deeply poignant and beautiful. Joseph, oh, we don't have time to tell Joseph's story. That's next week, Wes. I saw, where, I saw you somewhere. You're somewhere here. There you are. We don't have time to tell Joseph's story. That's next week. But Joseph is Jacob's 11th of his 12 sons. He's a big deal in Egypt. And he uh, introduces his father, Jacob, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This, this is, Pharaoh is the wealthiest, most powerful man on the earth. If Pharaoh is for you, you can have whatever the world has to offer. He's got all the gold. He's got all the silver. He's got all the armies. He's got all the authority. He's got all the power. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine pre-Penuel Jacob meeting Pharaoh? Oh, he'd have been working that deal. Oh, yeah. All right, let's see if I can, what I can get out of it. Maybe I can get myself a pyramid out of this deal. I mean, he's, he would be sizing up. He would be, whoo, he'd be intoxicated with the proximity to power. How can I use this man? How can I get him? How can I, how can I get an invitation? I mean, this is the most powerful man. How can I get an invitation to Pharaoh's prayer breakfast? How can, how can I get a ride in chariot one? How can I get at least, at least a photo op in, you know, Pharaoh's Oval Office? This guy can do things. He, he can make things happen. He's Pharaoh. 
old Jacob, pre-Penuel Jacob, would have been intoxicated with that kind of proximity to power. But that Jacob had died at Penuel. Now, Jacob cares nothing at all about proximity to power. It just doesn't mean anything to him. He doesn't see Pharaoh as the wealthiest, most powerful man in the world that can make things happen. He sees him as a beloved child of God that bears the image of God and should be blessed. And so Jacob blesses Pharaoh twice, answers his question about his age, and leaves. Now, there's so much going on here. First of all, first of all, you don't, you don't even look directly at Pharaoh. Right? That's, that's, they, you, you averted your eyes. You didn't look. That's not what I see happening. And touch Pharaoh? Are you kidding me? And they'll strike you down. And the guards are like, this old man walks up and puts his venerable old withered hand on Pharaoh's head. And he blesses him. And then, you know what else you don't do? You don't look at Pharaoh. You don't dare touch Pharaoh, and you never turn your back to Pharaoh. But that's, that's exactly what Jacob does. And everybody just froze because they knew. Pharaoh and everybody knew. The greatest one in the room is that old man. And everybody knew that if there was one person on earth that didn't want anything from Pharaoh, it was this man. We need more spiritual leaders like that. We need more that have ascended. We need some to climb Jacob's ladder and come up a little higher. So you're not, you know, intoxicated by the power of Pharaoh. You bless Pharaoh, but you don't want anything from him. You don't ask anything of him. He just blesses him, turns his back, and leaves. I find that absolutely beautiful. And I find that as a picture of what the people of God should aspire to be. Not fawning, falling all over themselves, compromising themselves for the sake of proximity to power. No. We're blessed. We're children of God, but more do we need. And we simply want to bless those around us. So where do we find Jesus in this story? We find Jesus in who Jacob has become. We find Jesus in who Jacob has at last become. Ultimately, that's where we find Jesus in our own story, in who we are becoming. So we want Jesus to wrestle with us, dislocate some things, break our selfishness, bless us with a new identity, and transform us into those who can carry the blessing of God to other people. Amen. Stand with me. And Lord Jesus, we pray to you. Come with us. Come to us. Wrestle with us. We even have the nerve, if we do, we have the nerve to pray, well, just go ahead and dislocate what needs to be dislocated. It may hurt. It may be painful. We may be left with a limp, but Jesus, what we really are after is transformation. We want to be like you. Jesus, you never 
looked at people for what they could do for you. You never tried to leverage relationships for selfish advantage. You strode through life above all that. And we aspire to the same. So Jesus, draw near. Jesus, be the ladder by which the agents of grace ascend and descend. Come to us in our need and lift us up to a higher life. Jesus, be the one who wrestles with us in the dark night so that we can be transformed and become a different kind of people with a new identity. And then, Lord, when we stand in the proximity of power, let us not be intoxicated by it. Let us see that it means nothing to us as the people of God. We're simply here to bestow a blessing and then go our way. Lord, make us that kind of dignified people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's confess our Christian faith, first of all. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, let's confess our sins before God and receive His forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved You with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. God is gracious to all who in humility confess their sins and ask for God's mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love Him and for those who want to love Him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. The body of Christ, broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.